Episode 17 is here for Half Wheel and Scotty Barrow. What have we got coming up, mate? Well, what we've got coming up is the World Championships that are coming up right now. Uh, we're going to cover the men and the women's races, especially the road races, the contenders, who's in form, and what it means for some other previous good performers at the World Champs. We've got Paris Roubaix the week after that. We mentioned about why it's the night of the year to stay up and make the effort and the contenders there and some great quotes about what people said about Paris-Roubaix over the years. We also cover the Patrick Lefebvre and Sam Bennett saga, oh, which yeah. have been playing out beautifully with multiple episodes across Hasn't time. It? We've enjoyed that. And finally, we uh, just put out a calming influence on the runaway train that has really become derailed after our professional critique of the SBS tour telecast. We really try and help our listeners out there. Can't wait, Scotty. Let's get into it. <laughs> Flandrian DNA running through us here at Half Wheel. And this is almost the salute to Belgium this episode because we have got an absolute cavalcade of real hard bastard sort of stuff coming in the next couple of weeks. What a bloody smorgasbord of classic Half Wheel and racing we've got coming. Yeah. I mean, maybe the World Tour could just be confined to Belgium and it's, you know, near neighboring regions. That'd be enough, wouldn't it? I don't reckon. All the racing happened there. Yeah, I don't reckon you get too many arguments. If they're going to be anything like we think they might be, which we're going to go into it in a little bit, yeah, I don't think you're going to get too many arguments. We are brought to you by Bicycle Network and Peaks Challenge, which is on Sunday the 13th of March. And I say to you that we are brought to you by Bicycle Network because we're supporting Peaks Challenge this year. We're actually indulging ourselves in the challenge. We're going to ride the three peaks of the Victorian high country, and we're really looking forward to it. Um, We're going to go into it in a little bit more depth a little bit later on, but we're happy to be partnering with Bicycle Network and Peaks Challenge. It's probably a good idea to kick it off with the World Championships. A lot of the AFL fans in Australia would almost liken this to grand final week, what we've got coming up here, because goodness me, it's mouth-watering some of the racing that's coming up this week over in Belgium. Yeah, and I looked at the road race course, and uh, it's not exactly Tour of Flanders, I think, as I might have mentioned or we might have mentioned previously. It's probably close. They reckon it's closer to the parkours of um, Brabant's Peel. So, you know, very similar, some cobbled climbs, short, punchy, hard-riding sort of stuff. And they do go a little bit around the Wallonia region of Flanders. So it's got a bit of everything. I think that typical world's course is going to bring out really entertaining racing, the road race that is. Yeah, so it starts in Antwerp. And, I mean, the Flanders region, it's, you know, we alluded to it at the start, it's iconic when it comes to cycling in a country that absolutely lives and breathes it. It's actually the 10th time Belgium has hosted the Worlds. I think you've got to go back quite a few years the last time they hosted it. In fact, I think our spirit animal Mario Cipollini may have won the last Worlds that was hosted in Belgium. As you alluded to there, Scotty, Brabant's Peel is probably what it's most like. It sort of almost pinches a little bit out of a lot of those Belgian classics. Mm. Um, You've got the cobbles. There's some real pinchy climbs. I mean, it's sort of well-suited to the all-rounder. If you're an all-rounder, you know, this is your opportunity to step up to the plate and have a real say in how this World Championships gets raced. Mm. So, you know, you mentioned Cipollini winning it, winning the World Championships there. So I haven't even looked. I'm going to go after this podcast. I'm going to look. So I'm assuming it would have been hilly, you know, like a Tour of Flanders type course. 
And he was a big guy. He probably, you know, race weight, I imagine, would have been 90 kilos, you reckon, race weight, Jimbo? Well, he'd have to be close and maybe a little bit heavier than what he is now because he does ride a fair <laughs> bit without a shirt on, as we do see on his social media. So, yeah, every bit of 90. So 90 in Ripping Nick, race fit, getting over all those bergs. I know you've got to be a, typically the bigger high-power rider, which he was, but still he was a p- pretty much a pure sprinter. So all I'm thinking of, mate, he won that in the early 2000s. I'm just thinking who was giving him his juice, do you reckon? Because <laughs> we are dead set in the era, weren't we? Oh, smack bang. <laughs> but everyone else would have been doing it too, so yeah. You can get yourself up for a period of time to get over those hills yeah. when you're a big guy. Still a great effort, though, isn't it, as a bloody pure sprinter? Like, that's yeah. – and you consider some of the other guys you probably would have been up against. Mm. Um, it's even more credible. Speaking of which, speaking of pure sprinters and getting over bergs and stuff, Ross, what's going on with Team England? They've got Pidcock coming and maybe they've been hosing down expectations for him. You know, they're saying he's a bit tired after Volta and all that sort of stuff. From what we saw in the Spring Classics with him earlier this year, he could be a major contender, but maybe he's a bit off his best. That's okay. He's first year in the pros and done amazingly. But Mark Cavendish in Team England going to the Worlds with all those Bergs and cobble climbs, what the fuck's going on there, mate? Do they almost mirror Ineos with how things are? Like, are they, are they at the linear, linear decision-making. Oh. Like, you're right. I mean, Pitcock's their best hope, I would have thought. I know they've got Ethan Hayter, who rode pretty well at the Tour of Britain, actually led that for a while. He is early days. I'm mm. not quite sure he's a stage heir, but he's early days of his pro career. Pitcock would be their best option for that one-day race. But as you said there, Scotty, he's probably not quite where he was early in the season, mm. like on the back of his cyclocross season that he had. Are they going to ride with eight blokes, or how they can they fill the spots? What's going on how is Cavendish going to be anywhere near it in the last 70, 80 Ks? Like, seriously, it's not a go against him, but it's just not his go. Like, he won Milan San Remo in like 208 or 209. And to be able to, when you're a younger sprinter, you can get over those hills, you know, at speed. But when you're older, you don't have that type of um, life in your power. Um, you can still sprint well, but you haven't got that aerobic juice, you know, because you're just a bit older and everything's, you know, you become a hardened warrior, but you, you lost that pop. So well, I just kind of, why are they taking him? I don't, nothing against him, but why? I don't uh, get it. I would think that they haven't really, I don't know, I'm stepping into the selection shoes. I think well, <laughs> they haven't really got anyone else. We might need some leadership, maybe, uh, maybe yeah, some, right sort of, some sort yeah, of guidance on the road, but. If he's fighting for his life can't, down can't the guide, of, can you? You can't guide from K1 when they're already at fucking K200. When they're flogging it and he's holding on at the back, bloody <laughs> hell. You can't sprint from kilometre zero. Good in the clubhouse, mate. Just good in the clubhouse. <laughs> but, I mean, if we were to compare him, you know, his selection mm. with, so Caleb Ewan is going to ride it for Australia. And of the sprinters, he's probably as good as any over those punchy climbs and can get yeah. over them for the finish. But well, a couple of things will come into the equation. He's not quite at the top of his game, I don't think, after um, that injury. And he's competing against some absolute beasts. So it's just not going to happen for him. I yeah. mean, if he can't do it, I'm not sure. Yeah, Cav, exactly. With all due respect to Cav, then he's Yeah, not. yeah. Yeah, spot on. And, and you know, Milan San Remo, when he went with those attacks, you know, uh, you know, Wout and Al Philippe and all that. But again, you know, you've ridden 200 k's. It's been on the flat. You haven't done any work, so he's sort of fresh and he can pull out the best for the Chapressa and the Poggio. So it's different here with when you just got constant. Like, just think of Amstel Gold. Think of Brabant's Peel. 
think of Tour of Flanders, that's what it's like. It's just going to be peppered with climbs. Yeah, whereas, whereas Matthews isn't in, Michael Matthews for Team Bike Exchange Australian, he isn't in great form, but I would expect him to be, you know, thereabouts in the last, you know, selection and a half for sure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. He'd know where to, how to place himself. The parkour is far more suited to him. I was actually having a conversation with someone during the week about Bling. Hmm. He seems to be just slipping back a rung now with the emergence of the vans, even Peacock to an extent. Like these guys are able to win these one day races. I know the uphill finish is probably uphill sprint finish is what's suited to Matthews in a sense. So a tailored race can serve him well, but do you wait and wait and wait for that occasion to come along, or you know, mm. are you going to pull something out from somewhere where it wasn't expected? Mm. Which now brings him into a, as I mentioned, all rounders before, he's probably not in that category anymore. He needs a punchy uphill finish. To win. Mm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he goes because he's obviously done very well at the world championships. I think he's been in the podium two or three times. So uh, that shows he is able to rise to the occasion and all that sort of stuff. And I just wonder, yeah, maybe that experience now will will help him. If his form isn't there, maybe his confidence isn't there, maybe on the day he might be able to just focus up and go with the right moves and with the last few climbs he, he might be there. We'll oh, see. Be, be right, interesting. Scotty. Make the right moves. Because <laughs> mm. it's happen. different in the it's different, isn't it? It's a different type of racing, the world champs. There's 268 kilometers. Uh elevation gain just or well, two and a half thousand meters, two thousand five hundred and sixty-two meters of elevation. So as we mentioned, a lot of punchy, not long, exorbitant mm. climbs, just those punchy typical Belgian climbs. We've mentioned a couple of riders already. It's probably worth talking about the contenders. Like who yep. do we see as shaping this race? And there's one bloke that stands like a <laughs> beacon. <laughs> Almost goes without saying, Wout, one mm. word, Wout. Mm. Yeah, we know he's a great rider. We know what he's done. Uh, obviously, he's just finished Tour of Britain and he won the GC and won four stages. Yeah, he's amazing. He's in some really good form. Um, he's been doing some motor pacing recently, so he's yeah, got that yes. happening. He's doing the time trial as well, but um, I read something today which I thought was a good point. There's a chance maybe he might be a little bit off on the time trial because he is focused on the road race. I don't know inside of his head. I don't know how committed. But I guess you don't go in it, you know, if you don't really want to have a crack, and he wouldn't. But, you know, you were saying that uh, perhaps Matthews has slid back a little bit in the pecking order. You know, potentially who else has slid back, and it's almost like a rude shock, is uh, perhaps Julian Alaphilippe. Because now every race that he can do, the two vans can hang with him and go with him and kick again. Like they are almost the same sort of rider as him, but perhaps a little bit better or just a bit fresher or what well, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I was going to get to him and it's along <laughs> similar lines. Needs a bit of luck, I think, given the power of the guys that he's got who he's competing against. He just needs that little mm. bit of luck. But, mate, in terms of wow, if his mid-season form wasn't enough, like three tour stages, as we know mm. how he won them, like they were just incredible. Mm. He's coming off four stage wins in the overall Tour of Britain. And he won the stage up the climb in Wales that was, I mean, that was a real punchy steep. I mean, he had to accelerate a couple of times and got over Alaphilippe in that particular stage. That, that was, was that was amazing what he did, what he had to do to win. And then you see him on the grass after us. <laughs> He's cooked. He's almost about to have a heart attack and, yep. and cry. Yep. And you're like, fuck, God, hell. <laughs> and here were we thinking he did it easy every time. <laughs> Get up. It, it is easy from the helicopter when we're watching. <laughs> He'll be marked to within an inch of his life, Scotty, mm. in this race. But, and there's a big but here, the Belgian team that's been selected is shit hot. Let's be honest. Yeah. Can I roll through yeah. some names for you? Yeah, go, his, go, go. His, this is their team. Wout Van Aert, 
Remco Evanapol, Tim de Klerk, the tractor, Jasper Sturven, Tij Brunut, Victor Campenarts, Yves Lampart, and Dylan Turns. Mm. Now, there's one word there for me. It is horsepower. <laughs> Absolute horsepower. The only thing you could have better, if you were set, trying to set up for out to win, the only thing you could have better than that would be having the whole team from Quickstep because they're used to riding together more often. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Because yep. they, they would do it so well on their home turf and everything. And the beautiful thing is, yeah, Evanapol is there, and if he's feeling good, he'll go off earlier. Yep. You'd think earlier than Wout, you know? Similar to, that, so, um, similar to the Olympic race a little bit where you thought, okay, he's sort of starting to come up to the front. And yeah, look, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, he might push ahead. Yeah, amazing team. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, a lot of lot of uh, expectation that they should be able to get should be able to get a win. They got the the best ride in the world in red hot form. Got a great team. It's at home on the home fields. Well, what do they want? Almost set up for them, isn't it? Really interesting. I, I look to compare it to the Olympics and smaller teams in the Olympics, smaller field. Where it was isolated towards the end, like he had to do a shitload of work by himself. Yeah, but when you roll through that squad. And the reason I did that was just to indicate that like, he's going to have a lot of help late, I reckon. Lampart won a stage in the Tour of Britain too, so he's, he'll be feeling good and confident and he knows that terrain and he's hard as nails. Can you imagine how frisky he'll be to pull things back for Wow? Like, all right, this is my job. I'm going to do it bloody 11 out of 10 quality. Just to use one example, like him yeah. as an example. Yeah. I was thinking the other day, and I mentioned there that he's going to be marked to an inch of his life. I actually think he'll benefit from Vanderpoel being in the race. And I know he'd probably prefer to race with Matthew Vanderpoel in there as well. Just because if Vanderpoel makes a move, not just wow, but others are going to have to respond to it too. And I just mm. think it's going to be able to not put it all back on Wout to be able to make the race. You know what I mean? I, I just think yeah. it's going to be handy. And I don't think Vanderpoel's going well enough to win it, but I'm happy to be stand corrected and he'll almost certainly make me look stupid by that statement. But he's going to animate it enough to make it interesting for Van Aert and just lighten the load a little bit in terms of the pressure yeah. on him being the sole man. Yeah, because people, yeah, like you say, will be watching him. Despite the fact that Vanderpoel's had a bit of a break and even though he came out and won the race during the week, but um, Vanderpoel, he's not going to sort of just get dropped off the back, is he? Like, he's not going to just fade off. He'll, like, go out swinging. That's the way he's going to blow. How good would that be, Scotty? Like, one of those trademark 60 or 80K breakaways. And, you know, obviously Vanderpoel goes, Van Art's going to go, how good would that look? And they mm. just take off. And, and I mean, I just think back to, you know, again, Brabrant's appeal. Um, Alaphilippe's been in the top two the last couple of years there, and he had a pretty good Tour of Flanders for the first time he's ever ever won it, you know, when, um, you know, Cool and Gala Gold and Caspar Asgreen went to the finish line. So, you know, Alaphilippe's around that mark, no doubt. Yeah, so there's already some uh, good possibilities for sure. Yeah. What do you make of Vanderpoel? You mentioned that race that he won the Antwerp Port Epic Trophy a couple of weeks ago. I didn't look through the field extensively. He got in a break and took the win away. But it was on some parkours that would be you know, similar to, I mean, it started, mm. the Antwerp is, is where this World Championships is starting. If you're a punter, if he's a horse in a race, you'd be saying keep him in your multiples. <laughs> <laughs> you box him up with someone for sure. Yeah, yeah. I reckon uh, perhaps that race, the main thing they wanted to get out of it was, you know, is the back okay under that type of load? I don't know. I wonder if these days more and more teams are more confident that they can um, present their riders in ready-to-race shape coming straight out of a break. So uh, Roglic, you know, with the Tour de France, I know he crashed, but he didn't race for a month beforehand. I think I did the same. Uh, Pogaccia, 
So it's happening more and more That's because I guess the training is better and better than before, uh, better than ever before. And I think the power meters are helping that too. They can sort of get a real sense of what is required in a race. So, you know, you can go and do your camp and not race for four weeks and then come out and be a contender. So that's the only you know thing in my mind about Vanderpol. You know, he might still be there in the last four or five guys. Shit, that'd be good if he was. That'd have liked the join up, I reckon. And you know who I reckon else you'd have to think would be there is the man of the moment, Sonny Colbrelli, because he's had a ripping year. He's in great form. He just won the European champs. He's getting over hills. We know he climbed. He climbed brilliantly in the Tour de France. So you'd have to say that maybe tactically he might miss a split or something like that, but you would say that he'll have enough legs to be right there in the last final. Got to be in the mix, doesn't he? Got to be mm. in the mix, mate. Mm. And if he can had, get to the finish. Yeah, had a great season. Like you yeah, said, really good. prior to this year, you'd say sole sprinter. You know, that's. Mm. But, I mean, he's proven to be a bit of an all-rounder, but you're right, if it gets to a finish, a, a sprint finish, wow, that's yeah. going to make it really interesting. Certainly got to be amongst it. Philippe, to touch on him again, I'd say he's 50-50. I mean, he's, he's going to be smart enough. And I think the thing that's going to be in his favour here is that it's a technical course, which, I mean, we know how he handles a bike. He's an absolute freak show on the bike. Just super competent with how he gets around and just dances on the pedals, even though there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot going on. Got to be respected as a defending champ. And he seems to make those selections. So I guess that's half the trouble, mm. isn't it? Mm. Um, it's going to be whether he's able to go with the big dogs if things get real heavy later. Yeah, but well, he, he was right there in the finishes and Tour of Britain multiple times. So, yeah, you wouldn't say he's nowhere, but um, just hasn't been as sort of glowing hot as it, the last few years, I suppose. Slovenia have got Pogaccia, Roglic. I've thrown in as a, a bit of a smoky Mohoric. Um, mm. Lit it up a bit this year in the Grand Tour, so expect to see a bit from him. Yeah, you'd expect him, if he gets a chance, you expect him to try break it somewhere, definitely, because that's what he does, and he's strong with an ox. There's going to be some quality in the break. There's going to be no dummies that are getting in a break. I like Denmark's squad. Kasper Asgreen, Mads Peterson, who's been a world champ before. Magnus Court is in form. Fine form. Yes. Yeah. The Australian squad, just for those playing at home. Michael Matthews, actually some good names in here, which I'm interested to see how they go. Michael Matthews, Caleb Ewan, Luke Durbridge, they pretty much select themselves. Durbo's mm. a bit of a one-day beast. Uh, Miles mm. Scottson, Nick Schultz, Rob mm. Stannard, Nathan Haas, who we haven't heard of for a little while. The guy I'm interested to see, and I hope he gets in a break, Harry Sweeney. He was the break king at the tour. I want to see him sneak into this one if he can. Mm. Yeah, some climbers there and some, um, some guys who can ride on the front as well. Jack Haig's not in that, is he? He's not in that, no. No. I don't know, but I'm assuming he'll be racing in Lombardia in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, yeah. We sort of covered off on a lot of the male race. I'm really looking forward to the Women's World Championship race. Hmm. 157.7 kilometres, just over a 1,000 metres elevation. The pressure is firmly and squarely lumped on the Dutch women. Surely they can fucking get organised this time. Yeah, because they copped a bit of flack, didn't they, for sort of stuffing it up a bit. You roll through their names, Scotty. Anna van der Breggen, Annemiek van Vluten, Chantel van den Broek, Marianne Voss, Demi Vollering. And the only reason they didn't win the Olympic road race is because it was just a complete cock-up. But they're not used to having to work as a team, aren't they? Because a lot of those riders are ones who get slingshotted into an opportunity to go for themselves. So maybe they're not, you know, just that coordination. I'm not saying they're being selfish. I'm just saying just not used to it, you know, how to tune into, okay, what does the team need and what does this person need as opposed to what do I need? 
and, and you probably nailed it there. I remember listening to an interview with the name escapes and she rides for South Africa and a reasonably experienced rider. And she mentioned something similar that they all exude that real winner's mentality and all want to win, but they don't necessarily all have that leadership mentality where they can get organized and be that captain on the road and have the team organized to ride for one person. Yeah, they want to have some reasonably extensive team meetings prior to that race, I would imagine. Mm. And Anna van der Breggen, for the listeners who might not be familiar, she's won Flesh Wallone seven times in a row, so that's just incredible. Because <laughs> you reckon, like, Ross, after you've won it two times, you reckon then teams are starting to just go, hey, just watch her, we've got to do, do her. And after three or four times, oi, we got to watch her, right? But then <laughs> she's still gone seven times in a row. Like everyone knows she's going to do it, but they still can't stop it. And she's a gun time trialer as well, but she's not doing the time trial. She's just in the road race. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, maybe it's a nod to fatigue or she hasn't got super form for her standards over the last month or two. So I don't know. Because you got her, like you say, then you got Van Vluten who likes to go long, and then you got Voss who's a sprinter. They've got like three different sort of major options there. And then Demi Vollering can do a few things as well. Yeah, she's a bit of an all-rounder, isn't she? Mm. The one yeah. for me to keep an eye on for Belgium is Lottie Kapeki. She was fourth in the road race at the Olympics. So she's yeah. my smoky. Mm. It's going to be outside the Dutch team. But we love well, our women's road races, Scotty. It's going to be bloody good again, I reckon. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. In these parkours, it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be unreal. It's going to be stuff going on everywhere. I remember we discussed 2020 Brabant's Peel. Like a different race, but nevertheless. And, you know, there's 25 Ks to go, and the camera pulls back on a straight stretch of road. And in the space of 500 metres, there's like four different groups all just working. The race has been ripped to shreds and it's just on and stuff's going on. And in the worlds, once that starts to happen, then not only it's who's strong, but also who's got numbers in the team to be able to, you know, bridge the gaps to so they can save their energy for when they really need to deliver the knockout punch. So the world champs are brilliant. The road races, brilliant. Good in any situation, let alone in Belgium, where, as I said, yeah. half Wheeland has their DNA. Can I start off as we preview the next race with this quote? Yeah. It's bollocks, this race. You're working like an animal. You don't have time to piss. You wet your pants. You're riding in mud. You're slipping. It's a pile of shit. So would you start the race again? Sure. It's the most beautiful race in the world. (laughs) There's been that many great lines about Paris-Roubaix. What a race. That was said by Theo de Rouge former Dutch cyclist in the 80s who never won Paris-Roubaix. He's a pretty um, celebrated Dutch cyclist. But Paris-Roubaix, we missed out last year, Scotty. We, we got did. Back. We got our we baby did. back and this then, year. That's right. And, and it was delayed this year. And then all of a sudden you forget it. about it. And it's like, hang on a minute. It's coming. How good. <laughs> um, can I just go back a second, though, too? Quotes about Paris-Roubaix. One of our favourites, the Badger, Bernard Hino, an amazing, an amazing racer. What he did in like 10 years of his career was incredible. Anyway, he called Paris-Roubaix a race for dickheads, you know. But here's the thing, Ross. When you've won it, you can call it anything you want, yeah. anything you want. But he calls it the race for dickheads and then goes out and wins it. <laughs> that's, that's why that guy's a fucking ball terror, mate. How good is that? I mean, there's a lot of reasons why you're attracted to this race. And God only knows mm. what it's like to race. It'd be an incredible experience. But I, I don't know. I was thinking about it. Like, you need positioning. You need power. You need tactical nous. And almost superseding them is luck. Yeah. Well, you can have yeah. all those three, and if you don't have luck, you ain't got shit. Yeah, because someone goes down in front of you even more so than, you know, normal racing when someone goes down in front of you. Or, you know, you pop a tyre, you know, you get a flat, at the very least, mechanically. 
I was doing a little bit of research on Paris-Roubaix, actually, and at the start line, there's a sign written in French that welcomes the riders, but right at the start of the race. It translates to welcome to hell. And look, we love a lot of the races, you and I, and obviously the people who listen to this love it too. And Tour of Flanders is brilliant, like it's a hard call, but i probably got to be honest, if it's got to be one race, and if you watch one race and you stay up late for the year just for one night, I reckon it's this. Not that it's better than in Flanders because Flanders is unreal as well because we've got all the turns and the cobbled cons and there's so much complexity, whereas this is almost in some ways not as complex. It's like old school gladiatorial sport where you've just, like you say, you've got to be fortunate, you've got to have a bit of luck, you've got to position well, you, you know, you've got to get through the cobbles. But, you know, at 100Ks, you look and they, they, they'll show the, the camera, will show the bunch and then like, there's 120 riders gone. There's only 60 left. It's like, where the fuck did they go? And they've just been whittled off. And so I just reckon this race is so simple. It's like it really is a classic attritional race and it's like, you know, the strongest do win here frequently. It's so simple. There's no bells and whistles at all about this race. I mentioned positioning the power, the tackling house and the luck. To further your point, you need luck to win it, but you're not lucky if you do win it. Because, yes, that's you right. Know, you, you've been an absolute. You've showed that you're a ballsy rider, and you know you're able to outlast the rest of them. We've had to wait so long for this. It feels like it hasn't been on for years and years and years. Yeah. We've had to wait. I think it's over 900 days or something. This. Do you remember the last winner? You remember who won it in 2019? Uh, wasn't it Jill Bear? Phil, Phil Jill, wasn't it? Our boy, yeah. Phil Jill. Yeah, Phil Jill. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So if we take our attention to Wout Van Aert, the man of the moment, the form player who's great at these races. I'd read about Wout Van Aert before he came full-time into the pro road cycling and you knew he was coming, you knew he was something special. And it's like in his first spring classics campaign in where he'd done a few races properly, he's like, you know, he finished in top tens, multiple races in those spring classics. And his first time in Roubaix, he finishes 12th. And I think um, the next year is when he had that crash and he had to, you know, ride back on for ages. And once he got back, he was cactus as well. So, um, God, he'd have to be the hot favourite, wouldn't he? Have to be, I yeah. think. And a world championships is a nice target to have, but it's got to be mm. a little part of him that just really, really wants to win Roubaix. There's a little part of him that wants Roubaix, and um, knowing these high performers, there's probably a big part of him that wants both. <laughs> Hard to disagree with that. <laughs> That's what it takes, doesn't it? You've got to be really ambitious. You've got to want a lot to be really, really good, don't you? The thing to remember, and I want to ride over them one day just to feel what it's like, and we've heard Tommy Nankervis, who's been on this show, talk about what it's like to ride over the Parve in that part of the world. In Flanders, those cobbles get ridden over extensively throughout the year. Like Bikes and cars will go over them quite often. These Mm. cobbles in Roubaix, no one touches them. They're in good nick, aren't they? They're fresh from the Napoleonic Wars when they were (laughs) laid. There's not, not much smoothing going on. I actually saw a photo when Wet Van Up was doing a recon a few weeks ago. I took a photo of him, and there was grass growing out of those sharp cobblestones mm. that rise out of the ground. Oh, mate, it's, <laughs> it's so mouth-watering. To talk yeah. about it, it just gets you excited. Yeah. If there's one race that you make the effort to stay up for, one night, even if it's this one night, I reckon it's this. It's just so incredible, so simple, so amazing. 257.7 kilometres. Now, normally, there's the iconic uh, Pave sectors, the Arenberg Forest, Monson Pave, which normally makes up 29 Pave sectors. There's actually 30 this year, so we're getting more value for money. Mate. 
an extra parve sector this year in Paris-Roo Bay, which is exciting. <laughs> but of the contenders, Scotty, we've mentioned Wout, and he's got to be the favourite. Hmm. Um, Vanderpol obviously have to be up there. Um, it'll be interesting yep. to see how he recovers after the Worlds and sets his sights on Paris-Roo Bay. A couple of our favourites, Asgreen and Lampart, both the Koenig Quickstep. They'll be in the mix, you would think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Jasper Sturvin was another one that I'd sort of had in mind that he might be uh, there or thereabout for it. Mm. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, it's hard to sort of get a sense of it because of um, you haven't been able to get the leading races to sort of assess the likely contenders. Mouth-watering. Hey, Ross, uh, one of the other things that's been happening over the last, I don't know, four or five months is a situation uh, between Quick step manager and principal, Patrick Lefevre, Lefevre, or the, the Americans would say Lefevre, and Sam Bennett. So maybe there's people out there that don't follow it as maniacally as we do. Give us a bit of a timeline of what's been going on there, Ross, from the start of it to now. This is a simple look at it. Yeah. Bennett indicated that he was injured for the Tour de France. Well, actually, let's go back a little bit further. Bennett was at Bora Hansgrove Road there, was recruited to De Kernick Quick Step by Lefebvre and Lefebvre. Won, the, <laughs> won the green jersey at the Tour de France in 2020. Can ride, mm-hmm. fastest man in the world on his day without a shadow of a doubt. This year at the Tour de France, pulled out quite late, within a week to the start of the Tour with a knee injury, which had lingered. That knee injury has lingered and lingered and lingered. And there's been, oh, how should we say politely, fanatical doubt put on that knee injury by Patrick Lefebvre. Lefevre. Lefevre. He put it out in the media that Sam Bennett was a bit of a soft cock. That's probably yeah. the right way And so. not only that, he's writing about Sam Bennett in his own new, newspaper article. He's writing about Sam Bennett expressing his doubts, criticising him in his own newspaper article in the, the main uh, newspaper, Het Newsblad in Belgium, where the team's from. So he's not holding back, yeah. old Patrick. Yeah. And seemingly at the Euro Championships, this is sort of fast-forwarding a little bit, Bennett was still technically, inverted commas, injured with his name. Yeah, that's right. And Bennett said, I'm racing for Ireland. I'm ready to go, which yeah. created an absolute shitstorm with Patrick Lefebvre once again. That was like the last straw, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. Initially, mm. when he bagged him out, likening it to uh, a domestic abuse sufferer who comes back and, you know, greases their way back to the partner and all that, which was just a horrendous yeah. thing to include in any sort of media article. I did read some people were trying to uh, maybe lighten it a little bit by saying that it might have been lost in translation. Mm. Anyway, to fast forward to the Euros, he's just gone so hard at him again, Scotty. And, mm. mate, Bennett, he, he can't get out of there quick enough. Get away from this prick. He's just, he's lost the plot. The relationship has really gone sour, hasn't it? Because um, obviously Lefebvre has felt like, is Sam Bennett really telling the truth with his knee? What's going on? I can't communicate with him, da-da-da. And also Lefebvre feels like he's being disrespectful and all that. But then at the same time, Patrick Lefebvre is bagging Sam Bennett publicly in the press, which, you know, that's not very respectful either. So walk your talk. And then, you know... (laughs) And he, then Sam Bennett signs up to do the European Championships, not essentially representing Quickstep, essentially he's representing Ireland, and it's a hilly course. So Sam's not even get over, going to get over the first climb. <laughs> so the way I read that one, it was that was a big fuck you to Lefebvre. Like, okay, well, I'm going to do something I can control. And then recently Bennett has been entered into two, you know, 
low-level races to finish off the season. So, like, Patrick goes, right, oh, if you're going to do that, I'm going to make you ride these races. It's turned to shit. It's been a shitstorm. And, you know, the thing that I can't get over is that the Koenig Quickstep really championed this Wolfpack. You know, we're a strong group, and by and large they are because they keep winning. Mm. They get that message out there. They profess it to anyone who wants to listen. To an extent, Lefebvre's the architect of that, in a sense. Like, mm. he's been one that's mentioned it at any chance that he could get to, that now they're a tight group and this is the way we do things. Mm. So he's gone against the grain completely, and he has just proven, or he's proving to us, that he thinks he's bigger than everyone. Yeah. It's, it's like the old saying in footy, no one's bigger than the club. Yeah. Quick step started in 2003, so he's been the principal there for 18 years in the helm, and you couldn't doubt his record. I had a look because I was looking it up. Quicks ever won 19 monuments. So that's one monument a year, essentially, on their existence. And they've had incredible riders like Museo, Paolo Bettini, two times world champ, Tom Bonin, Michael Kwiatkowski, both world champs as well, Al Philippe, Tony Martin, four times time trial world champ, Michael Rogers, three times world champ, Cavendish. Sylvan Chavanel, Mark Cavendish. They've had incredible riders, right? So he's got a right to sort of make some hard, heavy calls because he's shown across time he's done a good job. But, yeah, really, there's something about this situation that's obviously really got under his skin and he's out of control. He's, he's basically out of control. It's something about this particular situation where, yeah, he just he can't take a wise approach. I've got a bit of a theory, Scotty, that guys like him who are outspoken and with all due respect to their record because it is outstanding and you can't doubt it, you know, those administrators and managers that have been great, but there just comes a time where it just gets away on them. I mm. think they just start to fall off a cliff in a way because... Maybe it's like their patience wears out. Yeah. You know, like maybe it's a sign that it's time for them to leave and do something else. Maybe yeah. they're just sort of sick of calmly breathing in and then going, okay, how do I handle this strategically, yeah. you know, smoothly? They just had enough of doing it. And oh. then you maybe start to come out with crazy shit like he's been doing. Because, you, I mean, you've got the Bennett one, which is huge, and it's been bubbling away for months and months and months. Yeah. But also, in the last week, he's indicated to Cav, or he's he's been outspoken about Mark Cavendish saying, oh, he wants to cash in now, you know, like he, mm. he want, he's coming to me for cash you know, mm. for a 12-month contract, and there's no way he's mm. going to ride the Tour de France. Now, I think you've got to be careful, right? And this is what makes me think that he might need to go in a different direction, maybe to Kearney Quickstep do too. Once you start attacking your own continuously, yeah. and look, this is the vibe he's giving off for me. It might be different behind closed doors, but yeah. um, you can't piss on monuments like Cav, I don't think. And mm. Cav's big enough, take it. I don't need to defend him here, but it doesn't send a great message, I don't reckon. And probably the whole situation summed up by a line that came out of Patrick Lefebvre's mouth in his own newspaper column about Sam Bennett, something along the line. And you can look it up, guys, people out there. You can look it up. But something like, he thinks he can play with my balls. Well, he can't. <laughs> and I mean, you know, yeah. that's sort of, uh, that sort of sums it up. Ross, did you happen to see that article in Cycling Tips following up on the Vinokurov Premier Tech sponsorship uh, separation thing? Did you get a look at it? I've been in and out of this one a little bit. Premier Tech, they want nothing to do with Vinokurov. That's big on, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So they're more than likely it's looking like it might materialise that they move across and be involved with bike exchange. That's sort of the way it's looking at it. Yeah. But Vino, you've probably looked at it a little bit more in depth than me, Scotty, because Vino's ah, oh, geez, you can't trust that bastard, can you? <laughs> 
No, we know we know he's sort of got that dubious history. I had a look again of when he won the 2012 Olympic gold medal road race, Alexander Vinokurov. And it was a two-up break coming to the line with Rigoberto Aran. And, mate, you have a look at it again. It was ridiculous. Like, Aran looks over his right shoulder and Vinokur was on his right shoulder. Then Aran looks over his left shoulder for ages. There's no one there to look at. And then Vino goes the other way. Like, it is just, there's no way that wasn't a throw. So all I'm interested in is how much money did Rigo get from Vinny for that one. And you then, know why he looked over his left side? Just to check that that folding cash went into his jersey pocket on the left-hand side. How does it work? like, you know, has Vinny got, at the last minute got to just come up with a figure? Because they can't negotiate back and forth during the last closing stages of the race. He's got to make a deal that sort of Rigo says, yeah, right, straight away. And if that's the case, Olympic gold medal, let's put a figure on it, mate. You're Vinny Kurov coming into the finish. It's just you and him. So how much are you throwing at him? Euros? 100,000 euros. 100,000. You reckon that's enough? I don't Probably even know. Probably not. Probably I not. It's got to be between 100 and 200. It can't be 500 because that's too much. Got to be, yeah, 100 to 150. Mate, it might mean that much to him that he'd do it for half a million. <laughs> well, <laughs> the other thing is, too, maybe Vinny, Vinny's like pulled out the checkbook a bit fast there because there's no way that Vinokuro is going to get beaten in a two up sprint with Rigoberto Aran. Maybe Aran's going, yeah. Got him a beauty. <laughs> Rigoberto runs just taking that money and opened up a hospital back in Colombia. Yeah, that's right. That's community hero. Yeah, he's a saint. So anyway, um, that's been going on. Uh, yeah, Premier Tech. Um, Vinokurov basically was backed by the government, who were the, the main sponsor of Astana. They brought in Premier Tech. The government said, no, nah, we want Vinokurov to control it. So Premier Tech said they're out. We've only heard from one side of the story. Premier Tech say that Vinokurov basically wants to do it old school, just authoritarian approach. And Premier Tech are more of a new modern sort of approach. So, yeah, like I say, they'll probably go to bike exchange. And, and that's the word that Fuglsang is going to bike exchange from Astana. So, what do you make of that? Yeah. So, Fuglsang, yeah. um, Hugo Hoyle looks like he might be involved in that exchange too. How old's Fuglsang? I think he's about 36 or yeah. 36 or 37, I think. Mm. Obviously, won um, Lombardia, Giro de Lombardia, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. He won that the last time it was run. But since then, you know, he tried to go on the Giro last year as a, and, you know, wasn't good enough. He's done well in Tour de France, for example. He, you know, he's finished top 10 a few times. But, I, you know, I just don't – yeah, it's – I think it says a lot about bike exchange, put it that way. But it also says about the mechanics of the finances. So Premier Tech maybe have some sort of relationship with Fuglsang and they say to Bike Exchange, all right, we'll come on as a sponsor, but you got to take Fuglsang. Because yeah. why would you want to recruit someone like that? Like um, nothing against him, but for where Bike Exchange are at, it doesn't help them move forward unless he's bloody great around the clubhouse and good on the road as a road captain, which I can't imagine he is because he's usually a guy who, you know, set up to win for himself. So I think you're right. It's got to be aligned with the deal and they might, Bike Exchange think, well, you know, we've been looking for a sponsor. If it means we've got to get him, then we'll cut yeah. on the chin. But yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, you'd like to think he provides some sort of leadership capabilities at that age and with his record. Mm. It's an interesting one for Bike Exchange. You look at the riders that are all around the world now, and I know they were billed initially as an Australian team. You look at some of the riders in other teams now who, at some point, some of them were part of the Green Edge system. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think that's a good conversation for us to have in another episode about team culture, team identity, 
winning and your recruiting decisions, you know, that sort of thing. I think there's a bit in that, especially in world cycling. So I reckon that might be a great conversation to have in the future because in short, Green Edge came up with a very Australian themed team and it had a bit of a golden generation of riders, to be fair. You know, it had like Gerrans, you had Lancaster, you had uh, Stuart O'Grady, you had Robert McEwen, you know, it's a lot of good riders on the tail end of their career, but nevertheless still strong. And they had some great results. And then, you know, over time they started to go, wanted to maybe get a GC contender for the tour. And then that's when they brought in the Yates brothers and uh, what's your name? Mr. Smiley. Yeah. Yeah, Shutters. And, you know, they did some things as well. And now it's like, well, they're not winning. They haven't got any money and they don't have an identity. So might be another conversation. I reckon that's worth going into. Maybe get an expert to come in and talk about this sort of stuff. I reckon that'd be great. I've got a couple of people in mind which work well for that, I reckon. Hey, uh, one other thing. In episode, I think it was episode 14, What Would Wout Eat? At the end of that episode, Ross, you and I, uh, and you framed it up beautifully, you know, we give the riders a good scrutinising and they need to. That's our job. That's what they need. They appreciate that from us. But it's only fair to give the broadcasters a good scrutinising as well. And we presented the case for SBS telecast of this. Solid you know, case too, I would have thought. It's a solid case. And look, in summary, we felt like that SBS uh, Tour de France coverage just you know, had room for development. Let's just say that. It's very diplomatic way of saying. And um, look, there's some emotion in there and, you know, we got it off our chest, articulately so. It's quite professional, in fact, Ross, yep. the way we did it. Oh, we signed end. it off. And, it was high end. Yeah, and we sealed it off. You know, there's no hard feelings at the end. After, after we've said what we wanted to say, there's no hard feelings. That's fine, guys. Certainly from our end. There's no hard feelings. But, but that's right, exactly. We've moved on. It's okay. We feel good now. But you and I separately have received that much feedback from audience listeners about how much they loved that, they appreciated that, they thanked us for bringing it to the public forum. It's just amazing how many people love that. And, you know, while we brought it up and we were quite strongly critical, Ross, of the SBS telecast and the main players involved, especially, as you said, Weekend at Bernie's Mike Tomolaris. <laughs> yes. Well, well, I'm a bit concerned with our audience, Ross, because, like I said, while we brought it up, we got it off our chest, we articulated fairly and beautifully, these listeners just keep coming to us, say, thanks, that was great, that was great, love that. So I'm, a bit, I'm, I'm beginning to worry about our audience. I'm a bit of a Patrick Lefebvre here right now. It's like, what's going on? Because maybe our audience are, you know, just mean-spirited people. Well, we speak for ourselves, on? don't we? I mean, this has given us the platform to say things that we're feeling. And I would say, as you said too before, Scotty, we did it professionally. Now, some of the conversations you have with some of the listeners, outside, if they were to be given this platform, I'm not sure they'd be able to execute it as professionally as what we do. Now, to give the uh, listeners a bit of an insight, when you do post up or um, actually publish a, an episode of a podcast, it gives you an option is there anything explicit in this? Now, if our listeners were given the opportunity, we would have to say it's explicit because I've been astounded to coin a cricketing phase. They've come off the long run. They have come pushing off the fence and they have gone hard. It's Super almost like hard. they've been waiting decades for this opportunity and we just lit the fuse. Yep. And look, I don't know if we can take responsibility for this, can we? Well, we don't take responsibility for it, but we do encourage it massively. And it's almost like, um, you know, if I engage with one of our listeners, which is great, there's plenty around and I get the opportunity to do that a lot. I always take a little can of petrol with me and just throw a little bit on that fire that they've lit. I feel like it's a bit like Donald Trump 
you know, he had those two instances. One, he said, essentially incited a riot and then where they stormed Capitol Hill and, you know, just the whole constitution was just thrown in the gutter. But it's like, yeah, he's like, well, I didn't actually say it. And, that, and before that too, you know, when the moderator for the debate said, you know, will you denounce the violence and will you denounce these extremist groups? And he, and he said, you know, proud boys, stand back and stand by, you know. <laughs> so I feel like there's a bit of this going on for yeah. us. As I said, we don't want to hold people back. We're happy for them to unleash when they want to. And I get the feeling like I want to push them forward and let them have their opinion. And I try to be like, I don't know if you remember that Simpsons episode where Homer Simpson just slides back into the hedge really, really slowly <laughs> out, of, out of view. Because I don't want to be there. I want them to have their say. I know. I know. So we understand that people have strong feelings um, and they want to exercise those feelings. But perhaps, you know, with us being experienced in this, Perhaps maybe they could just sort of submit their feelings and their, their proposed actions to us and we'll just give them a bit of guidance Yeah, because otherwise it could turn into another storming of the capital. That's a great idea. And, look, we've got a social media platform. We're on Instagram. So if any of the avid half-wheeling listeners want to get some of their feedback in, and it can be on any topic in cycling. We don't mind what it is. It could be Patrick Lefevere. It could be SBS. It might be GCN. It might be Mark Cavendish, you know, abusing one of his mechanics. We don't mind who it is. It could be Jerry Ryan pouring in all the cash for Team Bike Exchange. Just let us know what you want to talk about, and then we might have to translate it to half-wheel and just to maybe make it audible for uh, our magnificent Mm. army of listeners. We'll also sort of maybe give an indication of how hard this particular listener went in their message Mm. that they sent through. Encourage all feedback, Scotty, all feedback. And here's your platform, listeners. We are your voice. Yep, yep. So if you go go out drinking, you got to look after your mates, and that's what we're offering here. We're offering a a safe service for you to let yourselves loose, but we'll do some filtering if required because we don't want to expose you. Hey, Scotty, at the start of the show, I mentioned how we've joined forces with Bicycle Network as supporters of the show because we are actually taking part in Peaks Challenge, which we indicated in episode 16, and Mm. we're really bloody excited about it. Not only that we get to show our wares on the road, you know, really make a statement in our half-wheel and jerseys, but it's going to be a fantastic event, mate. Just for those listeners out there, Sunday the 13th of March is when it's on. Early bird tickets are available now. So you can get your tickets now. Um, It is a bit cheaper if you get your early bird ones. I'm going to give some advice here for those people who were thinking of doing it. If you can organise some accommodation, do it as soon as you can because it does tend to disappear rapidly uh, up on top of Falls Creek if that's the way you want to do it. So avoid disappointment there, but get all those things organised as quick as you can. Scotty, early days, early, early days. How's your preparation looking? Uh, I'm riding consistently. I'm not taking a building the volume approach just yet. I'm not looking for big, big Ks or anything like that. Uh, as I said in the last episode, ironically, after we followed our previous episode on bike fitting, uh, I'm, I'm struggling with trying to get the right saddle for my bike. So that's my priority at the moment. And I'll just keep going with how it's been going. How about you? Going okay. Again, like you, riding reasonably consistency. Back in the bunch ride, which is good fun. Um, so getting the Ks up. Planning on starting to actually in the next few days, um, heading up to Bright and going to ride up and over Tawonga. So mm. get the first little taste of Tawonga nice. just for this season, which I'm looking forward to. So get into some real mountains and some fresh, clean mountain air. Nice. Just get yourself sort of to start stirring the lawns in relation to that big day, a big event. Just tap away on some of those nice little climbs. It's a beautiful climb, Tawonga. Um, mm. 
For sure. So forward to that. But for all the people out there who are listening, and we have got already um, quite a few half willing supporters who have signed up to Peaks Challenge. So we thank them for that. Um, we also thank Bicycle Network for their support. But can't wait, Scotty, to uh, to get stuck into that training. Yeah, for sure. Speak about it next time. <laughs>